Amen. Well, good morning. We are excited to be with you this morning. Uh, you know, Paul said that earlier. It's good to be together in even this, this weird way. You know, this week uh, seemed to reach a whole nother uh, fever pitch. Uh, our group, our outpost group, had planned to go for a walk together, men and women, so we stayed under 10 and turned out the uh, governor echoing the, the federal government asked, don't leave unless you have to. And so with that stay-at-home order, we went to Zoom again, which was great. Yeah, it was great being together. It's different, though. It's different. Uh, we miss being together. But it's interesting. Last week, uh, we asked the question, are these the end times? You know, are, are these the end days, the last days, as the scripture talks about? And what's funny a little bit is this week, as I was listening to, to other podcasts and, and reading things, Everybody's asking that question. A lot of people are asking that question right now. Is this the end? Are these signs of the apocalypse? Um, and if you did your reading this week, uh, you probably came to the conclusion, yes, we are in the last days. Now, if we're going to be biblical about it, it's been the last days since Jesus ascended. And Jesus can come back at any moment. Uh, and we are seeing the signs of him returning. Now, with this, this heightened question, are these the last days, people are also having the heightened question about their own mor mortality, uh, about eternity. What is going to happen in eternity? Um, we're all going to die. What's that going to be like? And so today I ask this question. If you knew you had three months to live, what would you change about your life? You know, we're going to try and answer that this, today, this morning. But if you knew you had three months to live, what would you change about your life? What would that do in your heart, in your soul? Now, I was just curious, so I did a Google search um, on, on what people go through when they know their, their end is close. And almost every article that popped up came from a, a humanistic worldview, the worldview uh, that denies a God, uh, that denies eternity. And it was interesting and a little bit sad uh, with the things that I saw. And one article had a few lines that really kind of summed up the rest. Uh, and it began with this comment. It said, uh, for those that, are, that, that they know their end is coming soon, it says, overwhelming and anxiety and dread come with the realization that we are nothing more than breathing, defecating, self-conscious pieces of meat that can die at any time. Now, of course, as Christians... We reject that worldview. We do not believe that, that we are just pieces of meat, but we are people. We are souls created in the image of God, and we are eternal, meaning we are made in God's image and extremely valuable. And so we, we will be eternal either way. And so for us, uh, that, that should be different. But here's the result of that worldview. They, they made this point. They said, society could... You know, if everyone knew their demise was coming, it said society could and likely would become racist, xenophobic, violent, warmongering, self-harming, and environmentally destructive, more de de environmentally destructive than it already is. Meaning if everybody knew their, that their end was near, they knew when it was, that this would be the result, and they based that on studies of real people, questions of real people, and how their life changes when the end is close. I find that sad. Now, we as believers, those of us who come from a biblical worldview, we believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead so we could be saved. We should not fall into that camp. We are not those with, without hope. We are not those uh, who don't know what's going to happen in eternity. We have hope in the future, which should help us live differently. And so this morning, we're going to look at 2 Peter 
chapter 3. We're going to be finishing out the book of 2 Peter. Again, it's very timely that God has us in this book at this time. But we're going to see a little bit, a description of the end, uh, a description of eternity, and then how should that impact how we live here and now. Now, I read these verses already. Uh, we looked through those a little bit. But I want to look just real quick, and, and this is going back to some of last week, uh, of what will the end look like? So when Jesus returns, what can we expect? Um, and, and we can see uh, in verse 11, um, it says, uh, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, and we'll stop there, and that's referring to before, when it talks about uh, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will pass away with the roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The, worth, or the earth and its works that are done in it will be exposed. Basically, what's going to happen in the end is everything we see is going to be uh, destroyed, the Bible says, or dissolved by fire. It's going to be cleansed. And as we saw last week, kind of our point in that is as we look forward, we don't know all the details of what the end is like. You know, eschatology is the word uh, that's used in theological circles to refer to the end times. And there's a lot of disagreement of what exactly it looks like. But all those who believe the Bible believe this part, that at the end, the earth will be cleansed. Uh, it's going to be burned up. The things that we see will be no more, and it will be remade. Whether it's remade brand new or it's this one cleansed and remade, we can debate that, but it's going to be cleansed, it's going to be burned, and at that time, there will be judgment. Judgment for the non-believer, but also then blessing and rewards for the believer. But the focus of Peter when he's going through this isn't, oh, be scared at the end, look, how, look what's going to happen. His focus was actually in verse 9 when he said, why is God waiting? Why hasn't Jesus returned? Because God is patient. Because in his love and forbearance, he is passing over sins right now, waiting so that more could come to repentance. There we see God's heart. It's not to judge. He's just, so he must judge. He's justifier, we saw last week, so he's passed judgment already on Jesus in our place. And for us to find that life, all we do is place faith in him as Lord. And he's waiting. Jesus will come back, but he's waiting for more to come to repentance. But now, again, judgment isn't the focus. But now we get some hope for the believer in verse 11. Verse 11, it says, Since this is all going to happen, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Verse 12, Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Now we get our hope. Verse 13, But according to His promise... We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, Peter does not give us a lot of, of description of the new heaven and new earth. So real quick, before I go on, I want to get a, a little bit of an idea. Three points of what eternity is going to be like. Here's the question. What will the eternal state of the believer be like? Now, we've already seen for the non-believer there will be judgment and then separation from God for eternity in a place called hell. But for the believer, we have a new heaven and a new earth. And here's, here's your first point. What will it be like? It will be physical. It will be physical. So, you know, maybe you've seen the pictures of angels on harps up in the clouds, um, and thanks be to God, that's not what it's going to be like. Um, it's not going to be an eternal spiritual church service, thank goodness. It's going to be physical. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, 
We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Scripture refers to Jesus as the firstborn from the dead. Meaning Jesus, God in flesh, he took on flesh at a moment in time, died on the cross as a man, rose from the dead, still as a man. And the body he had is, is what our bodies will be like. He was the firstborn from the dead. He was physical. He ate with the disciples. He walked with the disciples. Now his body was different, but it was still physical. They touched him. They felt him. 2 Corinthians 5.3, and I'm reading this in the New Living Translation, which takes some liberties, but I believe they got the sense of this verse well. 2 Corinthians 5.3 says, For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. We will still be spirits, spirits in bodies, just like we are now. Only those bodies will be new, sinless, cleansed. Now here's that, the second point. Eternity, there will no longer be brokenness because of sin. Again, we look around, we see the brokenness of this world. This virus right now is, is an example of the brokenness of the world because of sin. There will no longer be that. We see here in this verse that there, uh, it will be a place where righteousness dwells. That's verse 13. In which righteousness dwells, meaning right with God. The earth will be right with God again. We will be right with God, and then we will live righteously. We will carry out that rightness in the way that we act. Revelation 21, 3-4 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Eternity will be in the presence of God without pain in new bodies. And here's the third point. And you'll probably have trouble finding this exactly in Scripture. I took some liberties. Third point, eternity will be awesome. You don't want to miss it. Eternity, as you sum up everything you read about eternity, it's going to be awesome. You know, we can't even put words to it. We don't even fully understand it. It's going to be awesome. But guess what? That's not Peter's main point in this passage. I wanted to, to look at that so that we can have some uh, encouragement to live the way he's asking us to live. But he, his main point you see in verse 14. Therefore, remember, anytime you see therefore in Scripture, you want to know why it's there. And it's, it's, it's elaborating on what came before and, and giving a main point. The main point, therefore... Beloved, since you are waiting for these, meaning eternity, Jesus' return, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Peter's point is that because the end is coming, because the end is near, we should live in light of that fact. We should live in light of his imminent return. 2 Peter 1 10. This goes back a little bit earlier into the book, but it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you, you will never fail. And the qualities we saw there were different qualities of virtue. And, and here's the point. We are saved by faith in Jesus alone. That's it. 
saved by what Jesus did on the cross. We do nothing to earn it. It's, it's, it's salvation by faith, not by works. But because of now who we are in Christ, because of what he's done, and because of what we're going to get in eternity because of what he's done, he does something different in us. We live differently. And that's, what it, that's his main point. In light of that, live differently. Now, verses 14 through 18, we're going to see uh, really five uh, or six main points about how we are to live. So because eternity will be amazing, how ought we to live? Here's your first point. Live with a sense of urgency. Live with a sense of urgency. Verse 14, my translation in the ESV, it says, since you are waiting for these, you know, waiting when I read that, it feels like waiting. We're just, it's like we're waiting in a line to get in Walmart because they're only letting so many people in. Uh, but it's not that. The, this word waiting actually means expecting and anticipating. It's the looking forward to something. It, not just passively waiting. It's actually hastening. You see that. Waiting for and hastening the day of the Lord. You know, so it appears somehow we can do some things to make him come back sooner. There, I don't fully understand all of that, but what we see here is that we, we want him to come back, and we're not passively sitting. We're actually involved in what he's telling us to do. Now, i got to tell you, you know, this is, for me, probably the most frustrating thing in my own life as I look through my whole life and even now. And the most frustrating thing to me as I look at the American church is the passive nature of the church. This week as I was preparing this, I, I thought of uh, the shrug. You know, I know I should do that, but eh, I'll do it later. You know, I know I should spend time in God's word. Eh, I know I should make Jesus first. Eh, I know I should give of my time and my money uh, to God and what he's doing. I'll do it later. You know, kind of that, that idea of the shrug, the passive nature. The Bible says nothing about that being okay. In fact, it says, make every effort, he said earlier, make every effort to walk his way. And here, it says, be diligent. This is verse 14 again. Be diligent to be found by him. So, so be diligent. Work really hard to be found. You, you know, what's that mean to be found? He's going to come. He's going to see us. And how is he going to find us when he shows up? You know, I think of a, a restaurant with the health department doing a surprise visit, a surprise inspection. You know, if a restaurant knows the health department coming, they're going to have it all clean. They're going to make sure the roaches are gone. You know, it's going to be good. The grease trap will be cleaned out. But if the health department shows up unexpectedly, hopefully if that restaurant's doing it well, they're ready. It's kind of the same thing for us. Jesus will come when we least expect it, and we want to be found ready because we won't be surprised. Live with a sense of urgency. And Peter and the rest of the New Testament really do lay this out, that, that he could come back at any moment. You know, so think about football. I'm a football fan, and I hope the NFL plays this next year. Um, and uh, I, somebody sent me something that Vaughn Miller got traded from the Broncos. That was on April Fool's. I hope that's an April Fool's joke, but anyway. Um, imagine a, a football game when it comes to the, the final two minutes and a team is down by six or seven points. What does that team do? You know, they're on offense, a minute and a half left. That's when they pull out all the stops. That's when they pull out that trick play that they're not sure is going to work, but they do it anyway. You know, they do the triple pitch thing or the Hail Mary, you know, or, or the Statue of Liberty. They, they do the, the weird things that most of the time don't work, but sometimes they do. And you can watch the highlight reels on YouTube. 
but we're to be living like that. Like it's the last two minutes of the game and we're down by six uh, and we're going out. And as a church, we're trying things, you know, in wisdom, absolutely, but we're willing to fail. You know, we're willing to put ourselves out there and, and not feel like we succeed. We're in the last days. So we live with a sense of urgency. Now, specifically, what does some of that look like in your life? Here's your second point. Make every effort to walk in victory over sin. Look back at verse 11. Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? That's talking about a cleansing, a set-apart cleansing from sin. And again, it says in verse 14, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. He is referring to sin in your life. Do you have hidden sins that maybe nobody knows about and you don't think anybody's being hurt you know, except for maybe your own spirit is being hurt, and God cares about that. Do you have hidden sins? In light of the end, it's time to be rid of those. Make every effort to be cleansed. Let the Holy Spirit who lives in you, if you place your faith in Him, cleanse you from those sins. You know, it really, it comes down to walking as the new person you are in Christ, letting Him live in and through you. And here's point three. Make every effort to grow in spiritual maturity. Verse 14 there says to be found, you know, clean without spot or blemish and at peace. Again, that word peace doesn't mean just sitting there comfortable, you know, absence of tension. That word peace actually means a wholeness, a completeness of parts. That's referring to spiritual maturity, meaning life is not about, the Christian life isn't about a bunch of don't do these things. It's not law, you know, stay away from this. Rather, it's an exciting adventure. Go do this thing. You know, go grow in maturity. Yes, get over sin, but now put yourself out there. Get in God's word. Learn what he says. Share that with others. Get involved with your church. You know, making disciples. Doing whatever God would have you do. Make every effort to grow in spiritual maturity. Now, again, it is God in us that this happens, but we cooperate. We put our effort into abiding in Christ. And then in verse 15, it says, you know, that we consider, you know, we count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So how do we count the patience? So again, the patience is God has not, not sent Jesus back yet. He's going to. But why hasn't he? We already saw that back in verse 9, because he wants more to come to repentance. How can we help hasten the day of the Lord? Well, if he's waiting so, because more people need to repent, we need to go share our faith. This is uh, point number four. Take advantage of our current opportunity to point others to Jesus. Take advantage of our current opportunity to point others to Jesus. That will help hasten the day of the Lord. How is somebody going to come to faith in Jesus? By hearing the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did on the cross. How are they going to hear it unless somebody speaks? Who's going to speak? You and me. Right now, I hope some of you are watching this, and maybe this is new to you. And you're wondering, how can I have eternal security? It's by believing in your heart that, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's Romans 10, 9, a little bit backwards. But that's how we're saved. And now we move to our final point or second to last point, point five. Beware of false teaching holding tightly to the truth of Scripture. Right here in verse 15, he starts to refer to Paul. 
You know, he, he says, just as our beloved, second part of 15, as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. This is one of those great verses where we see Peter referring to Paul's writings and comparing them to the rest of scriptures. Peter is calling Paul's writings scriptures. And he says in here, some of them are hard to understand. Have you ever read the book of Romans? Uh, the book of Ephesians, Galatians, uh, possibly Hebrews. We're not sure if he wrote that one. Some of the things he writes are hard to understand. It's true. But what's his point? There are people that are going to take those and twist them for their own purposes. This has been a great theme through the book of 2 Peter. Watch out for false teachers. You know, and go back and listen to some of our podcasts to go, how can you recognize those false teachers? We saw that in this book. But we are to beware of false teachers. Romans 2.4, here's where Paul is saying kind of the same thing as Peter. It says, Or do you presume on the riches of his, that is God's kindness, and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Again, he's saying the same thing as what Peter is saying. And some are going to take Paul's writings and twist them just as they do the rest of Scripture. Don't be surprised when somebody sounds good, looks good, might even be in your church, in your group, and they're close, but they're a little bit off. And here, his point is, know your Bible. That was, we've said that over and over while going through 2 Peter. Know your Bible, because people are going to use it. Do not be surprised when people, that's what he says right here. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Knowing this beforehand, I will tell you right now, maybe you're at home watching this, this and you're thinking, you know what, no false teachers are going to come my path. You go to a Christian bookstore, the books are full of them. No, not all of them by any means. But there's a lot of those false teachers there. Search YouTube, they're there. They're in our churches. Beware, know ahead of time and know your Bible. So again, how do we live in light of the end? Study scripture. Study it to know it. Study it to obey it. No more of the, the shrug Christianity. Again, this is one of those I hear all the time. I know I should read my Bible. I'll start next week. Did you read your Bible today? I didn't get around to it today. I was too busy on YouTube, you know, staying home from this pandemic. Today is the day. No more shrug. Begin, because we go back to our, our first point. Live with a sense of urgency in your own life. What are you doing right now to make God's word a priority in your life? Again, the end is near. I began with that question. What would you change if you knew Jesus was coming, or if you knew you were going to die in three months? What would you do if you knew Jesus was returning in three months? Now, we can't know that. He might be coming back in three months, he might be coming back in three years. We don't know exactly, but we should not be surprised when he shows up because we're ready. Now, don't go quit your job because you think he's coming back in three months. That's not the point. We still plan for the future. We're still wise, but we know he could come back at any time. And finally, our last point, let Jesus' glory be your greatest ambition. You hear that? Now we're getting to the heart, the heart of who we are as Christians. 
You know, Jesus said the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Eternal life is that you know Jesus Christ. If you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, eternity we will be knowing God and loving him, and that's our ambition now, to give glory to him, the creator, the sustainer, the one who became flesh to die for us, the one who's in control of this situation right now. Look at the last verse, verse 18. He echoes what he's been talking about the whole book. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do that through the scripture. And then he ends by just pointing to Jesus. I love this. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Is that your heartbeat? To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. To him be the glory. Why are we living as if there's two minutes left on the clock? Because there are, and we want him to get the glory. We don't play it safe to protect ourselves. Do we live on faith, or do we live in fear? To him be the glory. If you knew Jesus was coming back in three months, what would you change about your life? And what's preventing you from making those changes right now? Let's pray. Father in heaven, all glory belongs to you. Yeah, as I read here and I see Peter's writing, uh, Peter is all about you. He's not trying to scare people you know, as he talks about the end. He's not trying to scare people when he talks about judgment. He's trying to give hope to the believer. And he's trying to give the non-believers, I believe non-believers were going to read this and do now, them a picture of what the end will be like and a picture of who you are. You're not a God who just is up there angry and wants to judge. You're a God who loves us, and we thank you for your love, that you showed your love while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You're showing your love for us now in your forbearance, that you're holding back. You're holding back your judgment so more can come to repentance. But you won't hold back forever, and we know that. I ask, God, that, that, that you, Holy Spirit, would fill us with a heart, your heart, to live with this sense of urgency, to, to get rid of sin in our own lives, that sin in our lives would tick us off, that we'd be done with it, that we'd turn to you in prayer and humble repentance and let you cleanse us. And then we would be ambitious for your gospel for others, that we speak to others, we share others to others what you've done for us, and then we walk. As Peter laid out here very clearly, very methodically, how we walk in a way that glorifies you. Let us make every effort in cooperation with your Holy Spirit in us. We love you, Jesus. And now we, we finish this service by lifting praise to you because all glory is yours anyway. 2 Peter 3, 18, second half. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I choose to pray.